want you to be turning in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 18. Jeremiah chapter 18. As we look here in just a few moments, I'm going to read the first four verses of Jeremiah 18. There's, there's lots, you know, as, as I've shared with you before, what I try to do is in a, in a text, I, I try to narrow it down and in, in as few words as possible, try to, try to extract from the passage of Scripture the lesson that God wants us to take away. And, and so with this one, I was a little bit conflicted because there was about three ideas that kind of came to my mind. And one of them was, as I read these few verses, one, one, of the, one of the statements that came to my mind and possibly a title for all of this would be hope for broken vessels. And then as I thought a little bit more about it, I thought, well, there's uh, God's cure for crackpots. And then as I thought about our series of messages that uh, Daniel and I have been preaching since the first of the year, uh, I thought about the gospel of the second chance, or really what you might think of in the context of the fresh start, the gospel of the fresh start, the gospel of the fresh start. I, I prefer the gospel of the second chance or the gospel of the fresh start because really that's really what it's all about. And there's a message here that, that no matter how badly we have messed up in life, no matter how we have blown it in life, no matter how we have sinned, God offers to us the good news of not just a second chance, but the, the good news of a fresh start. How many of you would like to be able to start all over again? One man put it this way. He said, my, my youth was a blunder, maturity a struggle, and my old age a regret. I wish I could start all over again. The good news is you can leave today with a fresh start. As we look at Jeremiah, this is uh, the, the prophet Jeremiah, and as, as we think about Jeremiah, we realize that Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. Jeremiah had, had a message for God's people, and that message in one word was a message of repentance. And it was as if the more Jeremiah preached, the less God's people listened. And, and he's referred to as the weeping prophet. He is burdened and he's concerned about the spiritual condition of the people, God's people. And uh, <clears throat> there are those of us that realize that there are those people who, well, Jeremiah was, was afraid that God's people had, had uh, that there was no hope left for them. And I don't know where you are in your life. It might be that you know somebody in your life and, and you're concerned. Have they messed up so badly? Have they gone so far down that road? Have you gone so far down that road that there is no more hope? And so as we look at this particular passage of Scripture, as we think about Jeremiah, just these few verses, verses 1 through 4, we, we see that there is hope. There is hope for broken vessels. And, and he has a lesson for us down at the, uh, the potter's house. And so let's look at it together. Just four verses, Jeremiah 18, verses 1 through 4. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise, get up, Jeremiah, I want you to go down to the potter's house, and there I'm going to announce to you my words. 
And then Jeremiah says, I went down to the potter's house, and there he was. There's the potter, and he was making something on the wheel. But the vessel that he was making out of clay was spoiled in the hand of the potter, and so he remade it into another vessel as it pleased the potter to make. Let's bow together in prayer. Heavenly Father, we recognize you as the sovereign Lord. We come before you, not only as the sovereign God, but God, you've also revealed to us, particularly through your son Jesus, that God, you're engaged in the, in, in the events, the situations, the circumstances of life. You know what's going on down here. And God, you're involved in all of our lives. God, that's just the kind of God that you are. And so, Father, as, as we come here today, as we look to, to learn from the message that you gave to Jeremiah many, many years ago, God, help us to see ourselves and what you're doing in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, what I see in this passage of Scripture is lessons, <clears throat> lessons that God wants us to take away, lessons from the potter's house. And the lesson number one is seen in the act of creation, in the act of creation. The art of pottery making is one of the oldest arts that's known to man. And it, and it begins with just a lump of clay, just, just common old dirt, just a lump of clay. And that potter takes that lump of clay and he begins to work that, that lump of clay. And, and he cuts it and he, and he kneads it and he rolls it and he just continues to work it until it's just the right consistency. And then he puts it on the potter's wheel. And with his fingers, he begins to caress that, uh, that piece of, of clay and he begins to mold it and shape it. And as, as we look at this lesson, the lesson that first of all that we want to see in this, uh, in this, at the potter's house is that God has a plan in his mind for my life. God has a plan in his mind for your life. God loves us and God has a wonderful plan for our life. I brought this uh, coffee cup with me this morning and uh, this, is a, uh, this is a gift that Susan's brother uh, gave to her at Christmas time, this, just this past Christmas. And uh, he does pottery, he makes pottery, and, and he made this coffee cup. And uh, after, after, uh, after, after Susan had to get on him for a little while, he, he, gave, he gave Kathy, our daughter, uh, a set of these last Christmas, I think it was, wasn't it? And she'd been asking him for one of these since we got married. So that's been a few years. And, and, and he never has come through. And so finally... Finally, he came through this Christmas, and, and this is one of six coffee cups that he made, and, and it's really quite a nice piece of work. But when, when John sat down with that potter's wheel and that clay, it's obvious that he had something in his mind as he began to work with that clay. And that which he had in mind was a coffee cup. And he had six coffee cups in mind <clears throat> when he made this one cup. And so the first thing that we want to take away when we think about a potter who's sitting down at his wheel and he begins to work with that clay, there's something in his mind for that clay. And, and, and the message throughout 
the Bible. Whether we're looking at, at Adam and Eve or whether we're looking at Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and, and all, of the, all the patriarchs and all the people of the Bible, we see very clearly that the message that God wants us to take away from here is this, that God has a plan and a purpose for our life. As a matter of fact, Jeremiah in chapter 1 verse 5 says this, Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. Very clearly, Jeremiah caught on to the fact that he was just not this person walking around aimlessly through life, but that God had a purpose and a plan for him. One of the greatest discoveries of my life was when I was 20 years old, a junior in college, as I've shared with with the church several times, that God not only loved me, but I began to discover that God had a purpose for my life. College students are frequently asked the question, what are you gonna do when you get out of college? High school students are frequently asked, what are you gonna do when you graduate? Oftentimes we wrestle with the question, what am I here for and what am I going to do? And one of the greatest takeaways that we can have is that God is the God who loves us and he has a wonderful plan for our life. Yes, the lesson to be learned in the potter's act of creation, the lesson to be learned in God's creating of you is that God has a plan for your life. There's a second truth or lesson that we can take away from this act of creation, and that is this, that God shapes my life through the turning of the wheel and the touch of a hand. Through the turning of the wheel and the touch of the hand. What in the world is the turning of the wheel? The turning of the wheel are the circumstances, the day-by-day -day events of our life. Those things that are in our life, whether they're good or whether they're bad. Whether we look at them and we think that there's some great mistake, maybe because of what we've made, bad decisions that we've made in our past, bad decisions that we make now, or whatever the case might be, it's the turning of the wheel that God uses that to shape and to mold our lives. Romans 8.28 says what? It tells us that uh, Paul says, I am convinced of this. You know, interestingly enough, in a couple of verses ahead of that, he says, many times we don't know how to pray. But he says, I do know this, that God causes the potter, causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And what that's saying to us is that God's using every event in our life, the turning of the wheel, to shape our lives. It goes on in verse 29, he says, Whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. What is God's plan and purpose for your life? What is God's plan and purpose for my life? It is to conform me into the image of his Son. That's the shaping of our life, the conforming of our life, using the turning of the wheel and the touch of his hand in our life to shape us and to mold us so that we might be more like Christ. God's plan and purpose for our lives is primarily, primarily relational. 
And a lot of times, oftentimes, what we want to think of is, what's God's plan and purpose for my life vocationally? And it's not to say that God doesn't have a plan and purpose for our lives vocationally, but if we get so focused on the vocation and we miss the relationship, then we miss God's plan and purpose for my life. God is not so concerned. He definitely called me to preach his word, to be your pastor. But what good would it be if I was your pastor vocationally and calling in life, but my relationship with God was not a a relationship where I loved him with all my heart, all my soul, and all my strength. God's not going to so much judge us based on what I did down in here life, in this life, or vocationally. We might make a a wrong decision about what we do vocationally. But God's primary concern is my relationship with him and allow who I am and who you are to grow out of that relationship with him. And so God shapes our lives through the turning of the wheel and the touch of the hand. And sometimes, sometimes that's hard to see. It's kind of like the guy one day, he was really wrestling with life. Nothing was going his way. You ever had one of those? And, and, and problem after problem and, and just frustration. And, and he's just kind of wondering, God, do you really know what you're doing? And so as he's walking, as he's walking down he takes a walk, takes a long walk, and he's walking beside a field. And on, on one side of the field, it's, it's, it's a bunch of uh, watermelons. And on the other side, there's this, uh, there's this row of trees. And he's walking right there at the crest of, of, the, uh, of, of the field and, and the trees. And as he's walking down through there, he's just saying, God, you, I just don't know that you know what you're going in my life. And, and he said, well, just, just look, for instance, look at those great big watermelons out there on those flimsy little vines. And look at these great big massive oak trees with those little tiny acorns. But see, God, why didn't you put those, those watermelons on that great big tree that could hold them and those little bitty acorns and, and put it on those vines? And just about that time, the wind began to blow and an acorn fell from the tree and hit him in the head. And he realized that God wasn't so foolish after all. That God does know what he's doing. And so the lesson that you and I want to take away from from the idea of God's act of creation is that, yes, God really does love us. He does have a plan for our life. And he's going to shape your life. He's going to shape my life through the turning of the wheel and the touch of the hand. Lesson number two. Lesson number two is in, the act of cre- is in the act of corruption, the act of corruption. The first lesson, the act of creation, God loves you and he's got a wonderful plan for your life. Second lesson is this, that, this, that the clay, that's you and me, God's the potter, you and I are the clay, we're the dirt that he's working with. Note it says that the vessel was spoiled or the clay was spoiled in the hand of the potter, not by the hand of the potter. You see, the problem is not with God. My problem is not what God did to me. Your problem and our problem is a sin problem. It's our problem. Our our lives are not spoiled by the potter. Our Our lives are spoiled in the hand of the potter. There's something in us there's something in us that is the sin problem. It's the sin problem. And, 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 and he, there's two ways that sin corrupts the vessel. 
First of all, there's the inner impurity. There is that inner attitude. There's that inner attitude that says, I want to do it my way. There's that inner attitude that says, I want to be boss. I want to be who I want to be. I want to have what I want to have. I want to do what I want to do. And, and that is the inner impurity in our life. That's the iniquity that's in there. That's the sin that's in there. But then there's also the outer stiffness. There's the, the outer expression. There's the outer action. The inner attitude and the outer action. The transgression of the crossing of the line. It begins in here, but it begins to express itself by crossing the lines. And so we've got the inner impurity and we've got the outer stubbornness. To what degree are you and I willing to admit that the problem that we have, that which spoils God's plan and purpose for our life, we can trace it right back to the sin problem. You know, I think sometimes those of us that have been, <clears throat> those of us that have been walking with the Lord, those of us that have been saved for several years, for many years, and we kind of look back and, and, and we see, well, God took care of my sin problem as, as, as my sins were transferred to Jesus at the cross and his righteousness was transferred to me. And so we realize that our salvation is secure. We're justified before God. But I think sometimes as, as, we, as we journey with the Lord and as we move on with the Lord, I think sometimes we fail to make the connection between a, a, a disposition that we might have, an attitude that we might have, and tracing it back and saying, that's the evidence of the sin problem arising itself in my life right now, right here, today. And so we need to make the connection between the corruption that's in our life, that which is corrupting God's plan and purpose for our life, and the problem and where it lies. And then also, there's the lesson number three. Lesson number two is in the act of corruption, but uh, lesson number three is in the act of correction. What does the potter teach us about God? Anytime you, you, you read the scripture and anytime you study a passage of scripture, what you want to ask yourself is this, what is God teaching me about himself? And so what does the potter teach us about God? God is, first of all, a God of patience. God is a God of patience. Verse 4 tells us that when the clay was spoiled in the hand of the potter, it doesn't say he threw it away. But instead, he begins to remake the clay. He doesn't throw it away. The patience of God. You look up the word patience and you find out that Paul is one that understood the patience of God. In 1 Timothy 1.16, this is what he says. And yet for this reason I found mercy in order that in me as the foremost of sinners, speaking about one who actually went to the point of persecuting Christians, me, the foremost of, of, of sinners, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him. And I don't know where you are in your life. I don't know if you're at the point of saying, well, God's just given up on me. God's lost patience on me. 
But when you begin to think in that attitude, you look back at the Apostle Paul and you begin to see that he is an example for you to realize that God's patience hasn't given up on any of us. And so how important it is that we realize that God is not only the God of a second chance, but God is a God of a third chance and a fourth chance. But it's more than that. We need to realize that this teaches us more than God, the fact that God is a God of patience. We need to understand that God is a God of provision. God is a God of provision. And it's in this God of provision that we begin to understand that therein lies the gospel message. And the fact that God is a God of provision. The gospel of the second chance is not in the opportunities that God gives us to try harder or to do better. You follow the difference there? It's not just say, okay, Daryl. It's not just the fact that, well, you messed up. Let's give you a second chance to do better. That's not the gospel. Yes, God is the God of a second chance, but God doesn't leave us there. God doesn't leave us on our own to just try to say, well, I'll try to do better next time. Because that, what that does is that sets us up for failure after failure after failure. The gospel says that God is not only the God of patience, but God is the God of provision. The gospel of the second chance, the gospel of a fresh start, is found in the provision that God has made for your failure and my failure, for your sin and my sin. God provides a substitute that is a, there's a, there's a record of our shortcomings. There is a record of our missing the mark and coming short of the glory of God. And there's a penalty for that sin that must be paid. There are consequences for that sin. God just doesn't turn his back on it, but God wants to make the provision for us. God provides the perfect substitute to pay the debt of our sin. Colossians, Colossians chapter 2, verse 14. Listen to what, listen to what Paul says in Colossians 2:14. He says, and when you were dead in your transgressions and your uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven all of our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us and which was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way. Well, what did he do with it? If he took it out of the way, where did he put it? It says he nailed it to the cross. Who was on the cross? Jesus was on the cross. And Jesus took our certificate of debt, all that is owed us because of our coming short of the glory of God. He took that debt and he nailed it to the cross. He took a penalty for our sin and he made a provision for that so that you don't have to pay for it. I don't have to pay for it. Jesus paid for it completely on the cross. And so he provides the substitute for our sin. But God doesn't stop there. God doesn't just take our sin and take it away and put it at the cross. But God gives to us a brand new heart. God's provision does not stop at the cross. God's provision includes the provision of his Holy Spirit. 
God's, God's plan of salvation does not stop with justification, justifying us just as if we've never done anything wrong. But what God's plan of salvation does, he takes the very spirit and heart of Jesus and he puts it in us. He takes a hardened heart that's disobedient to God, a hardened heart that is stubborn, and he does a heart transplant, and he changes our want to doer, and now we want to do what God wants us to do. Now we want to love him with all of our heart. And Jeremiah, Jeremiah speaks of that day in Jeremiah 31, 33. And this is what he says. He says, but this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and on their heart I will write it and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And so God is not only the God of patience, but God is also the God of provision. God has provided a substitute for our sin, but God has also provided his spirit to indwell us. Yes, God is the God of a second chance. Those of us who get the gospel, the good news this morning, we realize that the gospel of the second chance is not the resolve to try harder, but it's the response of faith. It's the response of trust in a God that not only takes our sin and nails it to the cross, but it's the God who puts a new heart and a new desire in our lives to serve him, to worship him, to live for him.